Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 324 with Kurt Seidensticker of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey, Founder Fam, hope you are doing well. You and your family are healthy and safe. Uh, it's a crazy time here in hometown Melbourne. Uh, lockdown restrictions are pretty intense. Um, hopefully they open up soon. Really feeling for um, a lot of people affected right now and uh We're doing our best to put out as much content as we can to help you start or grow your business and support you however we can, guys. So let's talk about today's guest. Now, Kurt is the founder of a company called Vital Proteins. He's an ex-NASA engineer, and uh, this is a cool interview. Like, he's really scaled up this company. If you have an e-commerce business or you want to start one, this is an incredible interview where Kurt really details how he ideated the like the problem that he was trying to solve, which I think is really, really key. Like collagen is massive now, but back then it wasn't and they've really kind of become a category king. And uh, yeah, I think that there was a lot to take away around how they've created this market from scratch. It was also really interesting how there was that, there, he had a make or break period where he just went all in on investing in the growth for using influencer marketing. There's so much gold shared. This was a fantastic interview. Kurt was very, very generous with what he shared. And, you know, this is a billion dollar protein brand um, and it's nothing 
that uh, you know is can be done at the speed that it's been done. So incredible interview. I hope you learn a lot from this, especially if you have an e-commerce business. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? <laughs> I created it, first of all, right? So if you look at, if you, look at uh, you know, where I came from, I think as a, as a child, I was always an entrepreneur looking at ways of solving problems or finding a better way to do things. And through my career, I had started off and I went, uh, went to school as an aerospace engineer. For, for some reason, I thought that finding the most difficult engineering degree would permit me to solve problems future in, or in the, my future life, right? So I deliberately chose a, a, a very challenging degree in college that would allow me to be an entre- a successful entrepreneur that allowed me to solve complex problems and, and kind of develop a business. And uh, I had spent probably years uh, trying to develop businesses, some successful, some unsuccessful. And, and it's through that progression of um, failure, right? I, I think what, what did Winston Churchill said? He goes, uh, the sign of success is those who proceed through failure after failure with the same amount of enthusiasm, right? Uh, but, you know, you start, you start developing businesses and you learn from each one how to do things even better the next time. And, and uh, so originally I had finished my degree and I went off to NASA and worked on uh, the space shuttle program. But underneath all of that was always this entrepreneurial drive. Yeah, I see. So, um, when did you finish up at NASA and when did you start on your first business? And it obviously wasn't Vile Proteins. Yeah. I mean, you can think back to uh, when I was at NASA, I was actually coming up with some ideas. There, there's some funny stories behind that because my, my job at NASA, I think, was uh, 1990 to 1994. And I was working on uh, training astronauts how to fly the space shuttle for a part of the mission that was called proximity operations. So you learn how to fly the space shuttle and maybe dock with the space station or retrieve a satellite uh, and things like that. But I had the idea that we didn't quite know what was in orbit and what could risk the mission. So whether it was uh, satellite debris or other objects. So I think my very first business was developing um, almost like a weather forecast for space that would give NASA notifications of uh, potential impacts. So there's a so two paths would cross each other, and you want to you want to be well ahead of that so you can maneuver out of the way. And uh, after that, then I started. You know, when you look at the government, I was always very interested in commercialization. So I looked at a way you could bring branding and marketing to space, and uh, we had developed a technology that would allow us to fly <laughs> a huge mylar balloon in space that would have like a branded logo, right? So, so you could actually see it from the earth and you would see like a brand, let's say like Nestle or something like that, right? And so, but we hadn't finished developing it. Another company had heard about it and uh, they started doing a public relations campaign to do it themselves. But then oh. the, United, the United Nations had heard about it and then kind of banned all like advertising in space that you can be seen from the ground. And so- Luckily, they took the brunt force of the political ramifications of that. So those were some of the first early ideas that I had started. Yeah, wow, crazy. 
Um, so what happened next? Well, then I, um, I, I really, after those ventures, I really wanted to develop like commercialized space program. And so I realized I couldn't get there through the government channel. So I thought I would go off and venture on my own and develop my own company and maybe pursue some type of uh, space venture later in life. And I actually had come on board at Motorola and they had developed cellular communications, uh, an Iridium program, right? So they were using satellite constellations to create ground-based communications for cell phones that you could bring anywhere with you in the world, which is still in use today. But what, what Motorola didn't quite see right at the time is that you actually could build a terrestrial system globally for cell phones in 1994 that would make it ubiquitous to take a cell phone from here to Europe or anywhere around the world and still have pretty good coverage. And so the Iridium satellite within a year had turned into more of a, uh, an obsolete system right after it was launched because that's right. 1995 is right when cell phone technology was becoming adopted. And so I spent about three years, four years, uh, really designing and architecting the earth's like ground-based cellular phone systems. And so I was traveling around the world. I'd go to a country and work with their teams to design an entire system and get that deployed. And spent you know from 94 to 98 working on that yeah wow that's crazy and then <laughs> well then we you know then i realized that uh the internet was coming about right so you even though cell phone communication was great the need for data and information was substantial in 1997 and 98 so i went and uh, worked with this company called level three communications and a lot of people don't know who this company is, but they were really the the founder of the backbone of the internet. You had different companies like AT&T um, and MCI and other companies that were trying to connect and create uh, the internet, but they were trying to do it with their old, outdated networks. And it really didn't work that great. Level 3 said, you know, from the ground up, we're going to build and connect every city in the world with high-speed fiber optic internet uh, cables. And that would allow you to get, you know, you could set up uh, a data center in Denver or Chicago and they could communicate. And consumers could tap into, you know, high-speed internet. And basically our internet today is still running on that backbone. So we, it was a, a company called Peter Kiewit in Omaha that formed this company. And they built, uh, you know, probably about a nine-inch tube that connected every single city in the US. And they also did submarine trenches from the United States to Europe, did the same thing in Europe, connected Pacific Asia as well, and basically created the backbone for the internet. And then inside each that big conduit, they had 12 small conduits. And inside each one of those 12 conduits, I think they had like 12 fiber optic cables. And that's and then they leased each one of those cables to AT&T and, and Exo Communications and all these different organizations that is still our backbone for the internet today that gives us our high speed access. And we started that, you know, in the early days, I think we had like 25 people working out of a strip mall in Bloomfield, Colorado, and really kind of pioneering and creating the backbone of the internet. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And when did you venture out like like when did you venture out into like your first business so after level three i realized that 
you can't connect all of these cities together and not have content and servers. So I actually ventured out in late 1999 and created a data center company that, so, so if you think about this, right, cellular phone created communications that was really easy. Then the internet created the data that could be shared. And then I realized you gotta, you have to have like content and servers that actually shared that data across this backbone. So, you know, I was probably one of the first to create this data center company that was really beyond just static content, but actually servers generating content um, in 99. And then realized that beyond that e-commerce was coming. And, and so I started uh, developing an e-commerce platform that we licensed and, and created with uh, a bunch of different uh, early adopters of e-commerce and internet retailer magazine had kind of recognized uh, the work as being like one of the top 50 innovators in e-commerce uh, early on in 2005. Yeah, I see. And what happened with the data center and the platform? So those continued for all, all the way up until like two years ago. So those were, platforms that we built you know vital proteins on um and uh but pretty much pretty soon you know vital proteins became so big it, it dwarfed the size of, of this data center company and and uh you know we diversified that and focused all our efforts the past two years on vital proteins ah, so yeah so that's interesting to me so you built this e-commerce platform so you had so you're running two companies coinciding with each other. Yeah. You had the data yeah. center because that's that, you know, I, I actually come from a, an IT support background. So I know a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of knowledge is often dangerous, but I know that, that would be an undertaking. And then you start this e-commerce platform. So you build a, you know, a, a SaaS product yep. and then you launch vital proteins on using that SaaS product just as a, like a, a case study or just like a yep. beta test, like uh, business. I mean, to, the, to, you know. Yeah. I mean, the e-commerce platform was pretty mature by then, but when I, when, you know, when you're launching like vital proteins was really launched as a direct to consumer platform and having that expertise and knowledge of e-commerce and digital marketing really propelled the brand. I think it was kind of a, like the launching pad for it. Yeah. So when did you launch vital proteins? So I launched Vital in, uh, came up with the idea late 2012, uh, September of 2012. And uh, this is part of, you know, I was, a, I was a runner. I've been a runner since I was a kid. And, and as I was getting older, I realized if I ran every day, my joints just couldn't take it. I'd have to take days off. I'd come back in a lot of pain and, and came across an article, uh, a journal that my daughter, who was in medical school at the time, uh, and it really showed like, because uh, we I was sitting there thinking like, why is it that I can't run anymore? And she's like, well, you're probably wearing down your joints. And I'm like, okay, how do, how do I repair that? And, and she's like, well, people take glucosamine, chondroitin sulfate. And I'm like, wow, that just kind of masks the problem. It lubricates the joints, but it doesn't give me longevity. It doesn't reverse my aging, right? It doesn't help rebuild the joints. And I'm like, what are the joints made out of? And she goes, well, they're cartilage, ligaments, tendons, muscles, bone. And I'm like, okay, what are those made out of? And she goes, well, they're all, they're mostly collagen. I go, well, can I, can I consume collagen and, and try to rebuild them? And she goes, I don't know. I don't know if that works that way. And I go, well, 
if I do, how much would I take? And I started, I, I looked at a paper that showed glycine was like the main amino acid in collagen. And I said, well, how much glycine do you need to take? And it was like 15 grams a day. And it's like, well, if you calculate that and your body can produce some, you need about 20 to 40 grams of collagen. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, okay, in the market at the time, you could take a, a pill or a tablet of collagen and it was a half a gram or a gram. And that means I had to take like 80 tablets a day just to get my 40 grams of collagen. I'm like, I, I, I can't even take one pill a day. And, and so I, right at that moment, I go, well, wow, that's really a vital protein. And uh, as soon as I had that, as soon as I thought that thought, I go, I could create a whole new category based on wellness and longevity built around ingestible collagen, where it wasn't a tablet or pill, but it was actually uh, a supplement like whey protein or plant protein. And you could actually incorporate it into your diet, whether it's in a food or a beverage or, or, a, or a supplement. And uh, so that September 2012 is when I, when I had that epiphany. And I immediately, like within a day or two, went out and leased a warehouse to start a manufacturing operations. And then I spent probably six months gut rehabbing that, developing a manufacturing process, developing the brand, developing e-commerce platforms. So we finally launched it in uh, 2013. Yeah, I see. When it comes to the e-commerce platform, you used your own though, right? Right, yep. And eventually though, as we as we spun off that company, we migrated to uh, Shopify uh, two years ago. Oh, okay. Because simply, I think you know in IT, right, it, it takes a lot of energy to add new features, right? And so as you as you develop one customized feature, you know, it may take thousands of man hours. And Shopify, you know, just kind of scaled out for us much quicker to add additional features based on their extension platform. Yeah, I see. So you shut your e-commerce platform down and eventually moved to Shopify or you sold it yep. or? Uh, we sold it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we sold it. Um, and, uh, cause it was kind of integrated as a SaaS service. So. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Interesting. And then, yeah, you said that vital proteins kind of just really just, it was just a clear winner, um, compared to your other ventures that you had, which I, which is something that I find interesting because, um, you know, in the Silicon Valley world, they are obsessed with product. They don't care so much about marketing. They say that if the product yeah. is incredible, it does a lot of the heavy lifting. And there's two schools of thought always, you know, well, if, if it doesn't matter how good the product is, then, you know, you still need great marketing. Um, but then there's the other school of thought saying that the product will do all the talking. Yeah. What school of thought do you have? Well, it's kind of funny because I've gone through both of those cycles, right? I did have an IT background. And, uh, you know, some of the things I didn't even mention about some of the other business I tried to start, I had early on in 1996 tried to develop a recruiting platform because when I was at Motorola trying to build a team, it was very difficult for me to find candidates. We were growing, we were adding or doubling almost every six months trying to add candidates. And I, I really had to depend on third parties to find people. And I said, wouldn't it be easier if we had some type of or some type of search engine that would allow us to find candidates? And I had launched a, um, a basically like kind of monster career builder site 
probably a year or two ahead of monster.com later in like 2005 we had launched like an airbnb platform we had launched also like a a, um, a grubhub platform in 2006 7 but each one of those uh wasn't successful right i, I financed these myself but they weren't successful because they lacked um the marketing behind it right it's really you know it's so it's very easy to get into business now when you have social media you have low barriers to entry. You can develop the technology. There's platforms to do it. What really differentiates a brand now is marketing because you have to get your voice out there. You have to invest in, you know, what your brand stands for and as well, and also the education behind it. I think when we were creating a brand new category, we had to educate consumers who we were and what that brand was about. And uh, so right off the bat, when I structured our whole vertical model on pricing and what our gross margins were, marketing was stuck in there as one of the key attributes for us to grow the brand. And, and that comes from the earlier things that you can have a great product, but without the marketing, it's, it's no one will know about it, right? And you have, to get to, you have to get to that critical mass point for it to take off. And, and that takes a lot of investment in marketing. That's interesting. So... Um... I'm curious, uh, what can you share with our audience around kind of the traction and, and so the scale of Vital Protein's revenue, you, like, uh, you know, um, um, items, units sold? Like, what, what can you share? Because I know you, you've actually uh, been recently acquired too. So, yeah, what can you share? Um, as far as growth trajectory, I mean, we were, uh, I think every year we've had, we've, we've probably grown triple digits. Um, I think early on we probably grew uh, over 300% year over year. Uh, lately, as you become a, a very large, you know, we're, we're we're probably over a quarter million in revenue this year. Yep. As you get larger, right, we're still growing 60, 70, 80% year over year, and that's phenomenal growth that you have to kind of keep up with. But none of that would have happened without a lot of the early investment in marketing. So, did you say a quarter of a billion? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you said I thought you said quarter million. I was like, oh, I, I might know. have said quarter million. Yeah, I might have yeah. said quarter million. I mean, I mean, two fifty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so multiple nine figures. Okay, that's serious yeah. scale in in the past seven years. That's crazy. So you guys yeah. would have you guys would have been in the Inc. Five thousand if you had submitted. You did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we never submitted. Right. I kind of I, I I like I like the early adopt or the early advantage of of first to market and quickly. I think. We moved so quickly and we were under the radar and we had national deployment before people even knew who we were. If you look at our, in the US now, I think we're the number one protein brand, uh, like even at Target and other major retailers. We're definitely the number one and two brand uh, in collagen, but also I think our nearest competitor at Target is half our size. And that includes whey protein and plant protein. So. Yeah, that wow. first mover, that first mover advantage, gives us such tremendous traction. By the time someone noticed us, it takes them a year or two to adapt, and we're already three years ahead of them. And uh, it's it's given us phenomenal ability for uh, a, a very large market share and very fast growth. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's a, that's an interesting takeaway because I share your same thought around not talking about revenue, not making it public not you know saying how good we are doing the pr road shows all that kind of stuff you know oh we're doing 10 million in three years or whatever it is 
and going on the Inc. 5000 and showing we're super fast growing because that attracts attention. And I see a lot of companies, a lot of founders, especially early stage startup founders, they want that notoriety. What's your take there? Because I think that's a really smart, strategic way to think about business around first mover advantage, flying under the radar. Yeah, I think I think flying. If if you know you have a successful brand and a successful product, fly under the radar and develop those direct relationships as you know as quickly as you can. I think a lot of times people go out in in the public and to try to get notoriety. It's to help raise funding, right? It's to help get more investors so they can fuel that growth. And you know, I I always had a strategy, even from my other businesses with Vital, was it had to earn every dollar. Like I didn't take on investors. It had to go through its own hardships to actually earn. And, and so every dollar counted and being under the radar gave us that advantage to do that. So we never were out there pitching, trying to get notoriety um, to try to raise funds. Yeah, no, I respect that. So I'm curious, when did it start to take off because there was a, a certain amount of education in creating this category because um, yeah, collagen is super hot now. Yeah. Like you know, my yeah. my partner, I, I don't have the product here, but she has a, a water bottle. It's a time marked water bottle, so um, it's, it's it's going really well. It's this incredible physical product, and and like I was looking at the collagen category, and that's massive. Like it's it's a pure Instagram play, like direct yep. to consumer brand, like non retail focus. Like, but collagen is massive. Like, so yeah. how long did it take to kind of get? educate the market before you really got traction? Yeah, I, I think you see the large, massive market of collagen. And I think Vital played a critical role in creating that market because, you know, in early 2013, a, a few a few nice things happened. One is I had gone uh, to a Whole Foods market here in the U.S., picked up a magazine while I was waiting in line. There's Paleo FX. And there is, is the Paleo magazine, but there's an ad for advertising for Paleo FX. And it said, oh, come to our trade show in two weeks. And I said, let's go. Right. It was just me and my nephews at the time. And, and uh, when we went there, you know, there's probably 800 individuals there, but they were all influential people. Uh, Melissa Hartwig with Whole30, Mark Sisson, um, wellness mama. And so I spent, you know, probably three, four days spending hours talking to each one of them and educating them on my idea of what, how collagen could be a wellness supplement and how it can help your body and how it's, how, how you need to consume it and stuff. And after that, we got, we got a lot of talk and a lot of buzz. And so that very, very first conversations I had permitted other people to start educating people about brand. But if you look at you know, 2014, 2015, and 2016, even though we were growing 3X, right? You know, early days, you don't know, right? 2013, 2014, we didn't know that this would be successful because you're selling maybe, you know, the first six months, you're selling seven units a week or selling 15 units. And then, Sorry. you know, before you know it, it's 100 units and, and then it's 1,000 units a week, right? So it's a very slow trajectory, but you know, during that time, I wasn't drawing a salary. I was actually working almost three jobs because I was working the data center uh, as a managing director. And then I was also doing consulting work on the side and all that money was being funneled into the growth of Vital. And we were still a very small company, four, four or five people. And uh, But it took all that resource and all that cash just to buy 
uh, raw material and, and packaging to create our next uh, lot, right? And so it was constantly going that you never got ahead of the curve. And then I said, well, being a data scientist, I looked at the trends. I said, this is a really solid trend that's going on here. I, I, you could predict, because we we're a direct-to-consumer, every week that it was growing 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%. And I said, I better get ahead of this. And I, I decided that in 2016, because that I, I look at the um, R-squared factor of the of correlation of the growth, and it was almost one. It was like almost a perfect uh, uh, growth trajectory that I could actually measure and calculate. So I said, okay, you know what? This is really happening. I'm going to hire 16 people because we were doing all these trade shows and we're meeting all these people. I said, I'm going to hire a team, not a sales team, to get out there and start selling. The key, I think the key differentiator for Vital was I didn't try to get my product on, set, on shelf at a store and have that store educate people about my product. I was directly communicating with our consumers such that when I did go to retail, they already knew who we were. And so I, in 2016, I hired 16 people focused on social media, influencer relationship management, um, marketing and public relations. And so I kind of said, like, this better work. I've got enough funds to fund this for six months. Yes. And uh, out of my, out of my uh, other income that I was creating, and I said, if it doesn't work, it's not going to work. And it it took off then in 2016 because Jennifer Aniston had started talking about us in March. And the buzz from the early relationships that I had developed had gotten out there. And so people were just naturally talking about the product. And so because I invested at that point in time, because I looked at the growth trajectory, it actually was following that trajectory. And I invested ahead of that. And 2016 just kind of followed that trajectory and kind of the brand blew up then and such that I think it was the end of 2016, then Whole Foods took us nationwide, but everyone knew, everyone knew who we were. And so it just kind of flew off the shelf. Uh, so you did online first before you did retailers and yeah. that's, do you, do you think, would you recommend that to e-com founders? Absolutely. Right. I think that direct, so between our website and Amazon and between trade shows and influencers, Getting out there and communicating your brand and developing a loyal brand following was critical for the success. It wouldn't have happened if we had gone to, you know, a distributor or a retailer and said, can you carry this? And maybe we'll figure out how to get a customer interested. Mm, that's really interesting because I've got a friend and he calls like he's got a few e-com. He's got a few e-com brands and he's not strong at B2C. And my specialty is more B2C. Um, this is for my my partner, my fiance's business. I don't I found it's my number one, but I help her a little bit on the side. And and he's like, I'm a B2B master. I can get into retail. And the reason that I love it is because I can do one deal and I can get into like 500 different stores and we can move so much more product because it's like a whale. I, I can land these whales like a Whole Foods or whatever. And versus, you know, the the grind of Facebook ads or influencer marketing or creating content and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's his play. So you're, and, and yeah, it, it's interesting to watch the traction between the two different brands. Um, you would always recommend to early stage e-com founders to go the direct to consumer play online, not even focus on Amazon, just or like what, yeah, like what? what? Yeah. 
so I, I did our own web, you know, Amazon charges fees, right? It's 15 to yeah. 20%. And, uh, so I think the first year we just did only our website and we had enough gross margin and profit to fund the business such that then we went into Amazon, yep. scaled Amazon pretty strongly, and then we went into retail. And I think the advantage of that, right, you go into a national retailer, unless you have the capital, you know, it's, you're going to have to take on investors, right? And you're not guaranteed that even if you get that first big sale, that your product's going to move and they're going to order it again, right? You want to have a retailer that's happy right when they bring you on board that it's moving off the shelves because people know who the brand is. And by doing that, then you build longevity into your, your overall platform. So when it comes to getting into retail, I've never done it, so I have no experience, but I've been told the margins are rubbish. Like, why do you do it? Is it for brand play uh -huh. or? Well, I think if you architect it out, so I think, you know, one thing we did differently by having our own direct to consumer brand and having the market awareness of collagen, vital proteins and the benefits, we had negotiating leverages with these retailers. We didn't go out there with a pitch team trying to sell people. They came to us and said, we want to carry you. And I think that's kind of very different uh, from a negotiation standpoint. The other thing I did was I, I created a map policy. You know, I, I was, uh, I love Apple products and, I, and, and I, you, you never find an Apple product on discount. You never find multiple retailers out there selling it at different prices competing. So when I created the brand, I created this entire financial structure of cost of goods and margins and allocation to marketing. But I created this map program that said, hey, if you're going to buy our products, you have to, you can't advertise you're going to sell it for a, a lower price. Meaning, here's the retail price. This is what you guys agree are going to say. You can sell it for less in the store, but you just can't advertise it. And by having a level playing field, and we controlled our Amazon uh, platform as well. So a, a, a consumer could buy it on our website or Amazon or Whole Foods or Target, all for the same price. So it was agnostic to the consumer where they bought it. So it really brought really strong retailer relationships in there because they weren't afraid that someone would walk into the store, check it out physically, and then go buy it on Amazon, right? That it was the same price on Amazon. And so it allowed someone to purchase it right there at that spot. Yeah, I see. That's really smart. Okay. Um, so look, we have to work towards wrapping up. I'm mindful of your time. This is a great conversation though, Kurt. Um, so Let's talk about the acquisition you recently acquired. Um, how'd that come about and uh, what's exciting for you? You know, I think when a, when a company is on a growth trajectory, right, you're looking to continue that growth. And, uh, you know, I think we, we had realized, you know, we, ha we have such strong market share in the U.S., but almost, you know, Globally, there was there was still huge opportunity. I think the U.S., even Australia, were were way well ahead of the curve, and I think that comes from Paleo and CrossFit and um, other other communities that really adopt early uh, on nutrition. And what we saw is in Europe and Asia that they're probably several years behind the U.S. And when we want to try to expand globally, uh, we started looking at you know our ability internally with the United States versus going through with a with a, a strategic partner and expanding you know South America North America, or South America Europe Asia. Um, there's few strategics that have that global reach, and so 
you know, over the years, I had gotten to know these folks. I had had conversations with them. I've I've spoken at Nestle's headquarters with their innovation team. I've 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 talked to many of the strategics that were interested. And they they were interested in acquiring us much earlier. And I think as time went went on, we realized there was a huge upside potential uh, globally. And and Nestle really was a, a partner that was in all the areas. If you look at where, where Vital is, right. We're, we're, we're a supplement, right? And it's, it's Nestle Health Sciences that acquired us. And we looked at the longevity aspect of collagen of giving people, a, 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 you know, really helping them live a full, better life and looking at Nestle Health Sciences. And their, their mission is also to find nutrition products that give people a, a full, healthy life. And those two mission statements kind of really aligned well. And if you look at where we are, we're, we're, we're dietary supplements. We are beverage, we're food, right? We're performance nutrition. And few companies have that breadth of experience. And, and Nestle and Nestle Health Sciences have that breadth across all of those categories from manufacturing and supply chain and distribution. And so you, one of my goals as a founder is I really wanted to kind of change the world. I wanted to bring wellness and longevity to everyone in the world and try to make an impact into people's overall health. And, and Nestle just kind of, you know, makes natural sense for us. Yeah. Wow. And um, so I'm curious, uh, what is your role now? Well, you know, what I did is uh, I, I'm still a passionate entrepreneur, right? And I've created this baby of Vital Proteins and I want to continue to be on board with Vital. So I didn't do a full sale. Uh, I only sold a portion of the company, a majority stake in, in uh, to Nestle Health Sciences. So I'm staying on uh, and still have a, 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 a major equity stake in the company. I'm staying on as CEO. My entire team is staying on as well. And when people think about acquisitions, one thing I think Nestle Health Science does amazing is they keep the brands, the brands. They don't suddenly convert them to their own internal brands. So we will stay vital proteins. My entire team stays vital proteins. Our brand stays vital proteins. Our corporate headquarters stays vital proteins. And so we have, you know, many more years now to expand globally. Yeah. So you've effectively just got a scaling partner. Yeah. Scaling partner. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Um, so I'd love just, uh, I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I'd love to work just, um, I'm sure the audience would be dying to know that investment that you made in those 16 people. Like if you could share just some words of wisdom, experiences, because that influencer marketing stuff, it still works. It's still really right. hot and you can really build an incredible brand using some of the things you probably did. So I'd love to hear just in the next few minutes kind of what you could share for our audience there because that, that sounds like a, a critical turning point for you guys. Yeah, and, and it would go back to authentic connection with these, with these influencers, right? Um, you go back to the early days where we're going to trade show and actually meeting them, going out to dinner, developing friendships with them. And in, you know, some people approach influencer marketing with paid endorsements and sending people product and trying to get something, you know, blindly, What you need to do is become friends with them. They need to be part of your community. You need to, we've done summits where we'll get together as a group of friends and work out, or we'll do. I had one of our influencers been one of our influencers for years and she came to my birthday dinner with my daughter. Like it's that level of connection. And one thing I did differently was 
I have a team that's dedicated to influencer relationship management, and they manage uh, a set of influencers, and they're closely connected to them as friends and business partners, and that's the key, right? Uh, it, it isn't just sending products out through a, a PR agency. It's really developing uh, a solid commitment or solid uh, connection with your influencers. Yeah, I agree. I love it. Awesome. Well, look, um, any last words? Uh, so probably two last questions. One, any final words of wisdom, anything you'd like to share with our audience of early stage startup founders um, who are you know, just about to launch something or have been working on something for a while? They, they've been doing it for a couple of years. And then lastly, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Yeah, I would say um, one thing I really learned, I think it was critical, is as soon as you have an idea, sprint. Start acting on that idea. Don't contemplate it and work it through your mind and write a, a ton of ideas down in, in presentations and spend a year trying to develop it. Just, just I always I use this culture internally called sprint. Meaning, as soon as you get an idea, start acting on it and let the market help you by getting it out to market. Learn customer feedback, constant iteration. So I kind of teach our whole team as part of our culture is that. It's progress over perfection and sprinting. We, we, we move so quickly and we accept not being perfect because we know that we'll be much better off by learning feedback from our consumers very early on. You can think you have a great idea, but your consumer will tell you what that idea is. And so get it to market and get their feedback. Love it. And then uh, best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Yeah, I mean, uh, Vital Proteins are LinkedIn. Uh, Kurt, Kurt site Instagram, LinkedIn. You can kind of see a little bit about, about my background or feel free to, to reach out to me as well. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Kurt. It was an absolute pleasure, mate. We can uh, wrap there. I know we're, we're just on time. So, uh, sure. yeah, it was great to connect and stay safe. And thank you so much. Thanks, Nathan, for having me. Appreciate it. It was a good call. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.